off. <laughs> Sets my cough off. Good. If you've got a Bible, perhaps you could uh, turn to Mark chapter uh, 11. And we're going to have a, uh, a look at a story uh, where Jesus seems to go a bit bonkers. Uh, seems to uh, do what you wouldn't expect gentle Jesus, meek and mild to do. And uh, knocks over lots of tables and things like that. So Mark chapter 11 verse uh, 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So it's easy to read and not engage your imagination. But because um, maybe you've heard the story before, but, but, but what he did was he just, I mean, imagine someone coming in here this morning knocking over the table with all the coffee stuff on, kicking some chairs up in the air, chasing a load of people out with a whip of small cords. It was, it was an act of violence and anger. So if you're familiar with it, just try and sort of picture what actually happened. It's a dramatic, dramatic story. So he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. It's not the usual context for a bit of teaching. It just smash everything up and then start a bit of Bible teaching, but that's what Jesus did. Uh, so it's an, it's an important um, story. The reason I say it's important is it's actually in all four Gospels, and not a tremendous amount of things are in all four Gospels. So it's, it's important because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all decided that this was a vital thing to include in the scripture they were writing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke put this as a, as a showdown story, if you like, at the end of their account of Jesus, just before he's, he's gone up to Jerusalem, just before the crucifixion and all of that. It's sort of the culmination of their story of Jesus. And, and, and then the chief priest decided, that's it, We've, we're going to kill him because of what he's said. John, interestingly, he puts it right at the start of his gospel. It's in John chapter 2. It's right, it's right at the beginning. Uh, John is possibly less chronological or it happened twice pay your money takes your choice as people write very complicated slightly boring books about that but anyway <coughs> uh, you can take your pay your money take your choice either it happened twice or John decides it's such a defining event that in his gospel which is less chronological it doesn't happen in order he said right we'll put it right at the beginning here comes this Jesus who's going to turn the old order of things upside down who actually says in his account, I'm the temple. You, you can knock me down, three days later I'll rise up again. Uh, so, so whatever way you look at it, either it happened twice and it bookends Jesus' ministry, the start and the end, uh, or, or it's been put four times anyway. So it's an important story. It's a defining event about what Jesus is all about. The, the second reason I like it is it's, it's Jesus' emotions. And um, Jesus is not a sort of stained glass window person, is he? He's a, he's a real person. And he's, he, he gets angry. I, like, I quite like 
I quite like that, really. I, I'm, I'm a sort of emotional person. And I like this little insight into Jesus' emotional life. We've all got an emotional life, haven't we? we? We sometimes struggle with it, but there are things that make us sad. There are things that, that make us compassionate. There are things that make us angry. And Jesus here is very angry. And interestingly, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus still has an emotional life. He's, he's not all sort of floating on a cloud somewhere with some angels with harps. He's, he's an emotional savior. He still gets angry when the poor are disadvantaged. He still gets angry when we don't welcome people from different nations. He still gets angry when there's a lack of prayer and worship. That's the Jesus we see here, and he sort of wants to turn things over and shake things up a bit. And he's still much the same, and I, I like that. It's just, uh, but thirdly, it's a story about the fulfillment of prophecy, actually. I don't want to get too technical about it, but there's at least three prophecies that Jesus fulfills here. See, there's a prophecy about the Messiah, the Malachi, the prophet, had said this in, in Malachi 3. He said, the Lord you're seeking, the Messiah, the promised one of God that you're, you're all looking forward to, will suddenly come to the temple. But who can endure his coming? So Jesus comes to the temple and the, the Jews for hundreds of years have been looking for the Messiah. The one that God will send. We're, you know, they're probably praying for him. And then he turns up and what does he do? Oh, he's come, he's come. That's not like that at all. He comes and he kicks over the tables. He turns people out. He's got a whip. In one of the accounts, he makes a whip of small cords. He's chasing people out. He's saying, you can't carry, your, I know it's Black Friday, but you can't carry your shopping through the temple courts. Get out of here. He's, he's going slightly mad. He's really cross. <coughs> and that's the fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah had actually come. Do we recognize him? No, because he, he didn't come how we thought he'd come. Who can endure his coming? The only people that really liked it were the common people. All the religious people were deeply, deeply offended. There's also a prophecy actually about, about judgment that he brings. He quotes Jeremiah 7 verse 11. He says, you, you've made this place that was meant for God into a den of robbers. And it was when he taught that that they decided, that's it, we're killing you. And they understood what, what we really haven't grasped because we, we live in a different age. Was that passage from Jeremiah was when the prophet said, I'm going I'm to destroy this temple. It was a prophecy about judgment. You've corrupted the, the temple. Um, don't even pray. That's what Jeremiah said in that passage. Don't even bother praying. I'm going to destroy this temple. You're all going to be taken off into exile. And that, that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians came. They took the people of Israel off. And the temple was devastated. So Jesus was quoting this again. He's basically saying, hey, just like it was back then, it's like this now. And the same thing's going to happen. And the religious leaders who understood all these Old Testament complicated passages, they understood that. That's why they said, we're going to kill you. Because it's, it's not nice when someone comes to one of the wonders of the world, this great, wonderful temple, and says, actually, it's all going to get knocked down because it's corrupt all over again. That's what, that, and they understood that's what, he was, that's what he was saying. And actually, it all did get knocked down, AD 67, what Jesus predicted happened, and it all got swept away. So, so it's a prophecy about judgment. But it's also a temple. It takes the opportunity to teach them. I'm not quite sure how that works out with a, with a whip in one hand and his 
Old Testament in the other. I'm not quite sure how he did it. But he took the opportunity to, to teach them about, about the true purpose of the temple. Uh, and he quotes another prophecy, Isaiah 56, about being a house of prayer for all nations. And he says, this is, this is the root, true purpose of the temple. My father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations. So it's also, it's a, it's a story of Jesus' emotional life. It's a story of prophecy. But it's also a story about our destiny, our purpose, the purpose of the temple. And I want just for a few minutes to look at that. <coughs> Pause for coughing. See, Jesus is not impressed by the grand architecture. It, w- it was supposed to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. Herod had rebuilt this temple. He wasn't impressed with its history. Some of us like the, you know, even now people visit Jerusalem and study the history of it. It, it wasn't, it was packed out with people that had come for the Passover festival. But he wasn't impressed by the, the huge crowds of people there. He was he was just angry because they'd missed the point. They'd exploited the poor. There was a lack of prayer and worship and so on and so, so forth. And so he began to teach them, my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. And I, I just want to just underline three simple things. And Firstly, what are we? We are the father's house. We're the father's house. Let, let me take you back to Old Testament days. If you wanted to meet with God, you, you would have to go to the tent of meeting. There was the tent and there was the, uh, the, the God box. What's that called? What's the proper? The, the tabernacle and the, the mercy seat and all this sort of paraphernalia in the most holy place. Of, that's the place on earth where you could go and meet with the living God. It promised to be there and the people of Israel camped around there and, and that was the way they they functioned and they were supposed to tell the other nations about God but they never got round to that because they thought they were so special they just enjoyed it for themselves and then a bit later on Solomon builds a temple well, a lot later on Solomon builds a temple and that's that's wh- where you went to worship God and it, it was amazing when it opened it was so filled with the spirit of God the the priests were on their faces that they could barely function because God came and filled the place. But when, when Jesus came to earth, the Bible puts it like this. He, he came and tabernacled with us for a while. He, 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 that's the word that the Gospel of John uses in John chapter 1. It, it was like, now if you want to meet with God, there's a person. Now, now if you meet with God, it, it's, it's Jesus you go to meet. And, and people met him, he, he healed them, he touched them, he gave them food, he multiplied loaves and fishes, he, he taught them. If you want to meet with God, you go to this person. It's, the disciples were amazed by it. They said, we, we saw him, we touched him, we touched God on earth. It's amazing, the presence of God. And, and, then, and then Jesus calls himself, in one of the recordings of this story, he, he calls himself the temple. They, they ask him, the authorities say, but wh- what right have you got to be turning over tables and chasing out people that are selling doves? What, what right have you got? And his answer was this, if you knock down this temple, I'll build it again in three days. And they have a bit of an argy-bargy about it. Now this, this temple took decades to build, but, but, but he was talking about himself. 
He saw himself as, as the temple, the presence of God on earth. But, but what happens then when, when Jesus dies uh, for our sin, taking my guilt and yours upon himself, and he raises up again from, from, from death, and he ascends to the Father, where's the presence of God then? Well, on the day of Pentecost, as, as people were praying, he sent his spirit to be in his church amongst us. That's why in the New Testament, when the, this is a bit of a fast, big survey, but in the New Testament, the, the, the people like Paul say, hey, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Says that to individuals, says it to the whole church. Don't you know? It's a good question for us. Didn't you realize you're the temple? Congratulations on your promotion. You're the temple. Christians are the temple. So, so when Paul writes the Ephesians, he says, hey, God is gathering people together and he's fixing them together to become a temple in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. We're, we're the Father's house. We're the people where folk are supposed to go when they want to know about God. We're the people amongst whom the Spirit of God lives. You, don't, you look a bit nonplussed by that. I think it's incredible, don't you? Don't you think that's amazing? Our purpose is to know his presence, individually and corporately, to to know him amongst us and to make him known. Our our number one priority is to be Father's house, to, to enjoy knowing God as your heavenly Father. That's our number one purpose. My father's house. That's our wonderful privilege. So we, we are and feel ourselves to be very ordinary. And we are ordinary, aren't we? Very ordinary. But we're also incredibly special. We're both at the same time. We're ordinary. We're flesh and blood. We get cold. We get snotty. We have, you know, we, we, we have our ups and downs. But actually, we're also extraordinary because God himself is amongst us. That's an extraordinary privilege. It put, it's an extraordinary responsibility. It matters how you behave. It matters what books you read. It matters what you watch on your computer. It matters because, don't you know, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it both raises your chin up and, and it challenges our behavior. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the house of a Holy Father. Secondly, we're to be a house of prayer. Father's house is a house of prayer. Now, <coughs> it's more than just an activity. I mean, we, we have a monthly prayer meeting. It's something we do. But this is talking about our identity. It's something, actually, we are. We are a people of prayer. It doesn't mean occasionally we go to a prayer meeting. It means we're prayerful people. It's just something about how we are. Something goes belly up. What do we do? We pray. Because we are a house of prayer. Somebody's in need or we hear something's happened that's really tough for someone. What do we do? We pray. I I love our little um, private Facebook page. And and somebody will say, oh, you know, somebody's in for an op or somebody's father's died or something. And and the first thing that goes up is praying. I I love that. I know it can be just something you type in, but it isn't. It's something we're doing. We're praying for each other. We're supporting each other. Why? Because we are a house of prayer. And they'd become, in Jesus' time, they'd become distracted by the business of running a temple complex. 
it was like the building project had become everything and they'd forgotten the whole point of it all. It had all become ceremonial and they'd forgotten this, this conversation with God and this welcoming of others as well, as we'll see. The, the New Testament, I, I found this verse, Ephesians 6 verse 18, talks about all kinds of prayers. And I, I've been thinking about this this, this week. I think all kinds, it says pray with all kinds of prayers. I thought, what, what's that mean then? And, I, and I, how about a little bit of when was the last time you don't want to make anyone too embarrassed, but how about this? When was the last time you prayed some prayers of adoration? Just a bit like Dave did this morning. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you made the world. Thank you that you sent your son. We love you because Jesus died for us. We love you because you're faithful when we're faithless. We love you because just adoring him. What about when was the last time you thanked him? Just spent some time just praying prayers of thanksgiving. Counting your blessings, my mum used to call it. Usually when she was telling me off. Count your blessings, Richard. Mm, okay. Thank him. I don't know. Autumn leaves, your health and strength. A car to drive in if you've got a car. The people around you, the people that like you despite the kind of things you say to them sometimes. Oh, there's so many things to thank him for. What about, when was the last time you spent some time asking him for stuff? Maybe that's the one we do most, I don't know. Your daily bread. I mean, we, we often don't ask him for daily bread, we just go to Tesco's. But do you get the idea? The things you need, that's what Jesus is teaching. I could do this. Lord, can I have that? What, asking him for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us, that's praying in for good relationships or putting them right when they're not so good. Praying for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. When was the last time you sort of decided you were going to battle for something in prayer? You know, like that story of the widow. I love that story, the, the, the nagging widow and the, the unfair judge, and how every time he came out of his house, there's this widow there, like, give me justice. And eventually, not because he was good, but because he got absolutely fed up to the back teeth of this woman, he gives her justice. And Jesus says, well, why, why don't you be like that woman? Why don't you be persistent? And if that's how an unjust judge acts, how much more will your heavenly father respond to your praying? Or when was the last time you just spent some time just sort of resting in prayer, just receiving the love of a father. David said, one thing I've desired of the Lord is that I'm, I might just, to just hang around and dwell in his house, just to look at his beauty. We're to be a house of prayer. I wonder if, you, if that's how you feel about, about yourself. Am, am, I, am I a house of prayer? my family a house of prayer? Is our, is our church a house of prayer? So many stories in the Bible about prayer, aren't there? Just, just a few off the top of my head. Abraham, he's got relatives in a city that's about to be destroyed in Sodom. And, and he, he starts arguing with God. God doesn't seem to mind. He seems to quite like it. He says, well, well God, if you can find a hundred people that are righteous in that city, would, would you not come in judgment? Woohoo! And God says, sorry, just having a bit of interactive there. Um, and God says, 
yeah, if I find a hundred there, I'd have mercy on the city. And then Abraham does his maths and thinks, well, that's not going to work. And so he comes back before God again. And he says, God, well, well how, about, mm, how about if there's 50, God? Surely you'd have mercy if there was 50 people there. Come on, God, you could do it. And, and God says, okay, then. If there's 50 there and Moses, uh, not Moses, Abraham says, mm, oh, that's a bit, still a bit tight, Lord. What about if there's 20? And it goes, goes on like this. And, it, and he's arguing with God. I don't know if you ever do that. It seems a bit naughty. But God seems to enjoy the interaction. He does have mercy and rescues the family there. Or what about Jacob wrestling with God? Ever had a wrestle in prayer? He's wrestling with God and he's not going to let go the, the angel of the Lord until he blesses him. I, I love that. I'm, let, let me go. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. This is wrestling going on in, in prayer. I like that. What about, what about Moses? Moses prays a ridiculous prayer. He says, God, if only you'd save the Israelites, you, um, you could change your mind and you could blot me out of your book of life and save them instead. I'm not sure that's a bargain you can make with God, really. But, but you get his, his heart. His heart was, save them, Lord, save them. Even if you don't save me, save them. That's kind of, it's great, isn't it? And then there's Daniel. He does a completely different, he's very systematic, Daniel. Probably an administrator. He's, he's praying three times a day. Nine o'clock, time for prayer. Twelve o'clock, time for prayer. Six o'clock, time for prayer. Well, they did have set times for prayer. That was the way they did things. But that, some of us are like that. We need to write it in our diary. Set, set your phone. I heard about a church recently where, where all the church were encouraged to, to have a little beeper on their phone. At, at midday, they all tried to find a, a private place and pray the Lord's Prayer. I hope none of them were surgeons or anything like that. <laughs> Sorry, love. Just back in a minute. But, but I, like the, I like the spirit of it. I, I, there are some things I've got in my, um, in, in my sort of, whatever it's called, that little tablet thing. So some things that I, just to remind me to pray. Because I've got a mind like a sieve. It's really good. Systematic prayer. Martin Luther said this great quote about prayer. Satan is opposed to the church. The best thing we can do, therefore, is to put our fists together and pray. That's a good one, isn't it? It's a bit of warfare prayer. Martin Luther's a bit of a, he's a man of violence. He's feisty. Satan's opposed to the church. Therefore, the best thing we can do is put our fists together and pray. Suck it to him. That's his, I like it. Do you remember that verse in the Old Testament? If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will do this, do that, do the other. But there's an if there, isn't there? Pete Gregg uh, says this. There is a big, fat, screaming if hanging over the people of God in every generation. Will we or will we not pray so we're to be the father's house we're to be a house of prayer and lastly we're to be a, a house of prayer for all nations see the temple was supposed to be a place where all the nations streamed up to it to learn about the god of all the nations it was supposed to be where the nations could could hear about the living god but but the truth was they'd made it all about themselves and when herod had redesigned it there, there were all these different courts in it and walls in it. And archaeologists have actually found that one of the walls had a notice on it that, that if you weren't Jewish and went beyond this sign, you'd be executed. 
because that was the court for what's called the, in this passage the court of the Gentiles. The, the Greek word is the court of the ethnos, the court for every ethnic group. And what have they done with it? They've filled it up with money changing and, and, and animals for sale and all sorts of things. And it was, all a bit, it was all a bit crooked, to be honest. They'd invented their own currency. And so the poor people had to take their money and at a disadvantage exchange rate, change it for temple currency in order to buy their dove. So they're taking advantage of the poor and they'd filled it with so much stuff, there's no room for anyone from the nations in it anymore. And that's why Jesus is so angry. It's because he, that's not right. You can, there's a sense of injustice that comes up with him. The temple system was taking advantage of honest pilgrims, taking advantage of the poor and excluding the nations. That's, that's not how it should be. Paul later writes and says, in Christ, the walls of separation have been taken down. There were walls of separation that said, women can't get any further towards God than this, but men can. There were walls that said, hey, if you're, a, if you're from a different nation other than Israel, you've got to stay back here. And Paul says, hey, in Christ, all of that has broken down. You are all so welcome. That's really important, isn't it? We're to be a temple for all nations. Uh, what that means is we welcome people of all kinds. That's, in, that's really, really important. That's why one of our values is to honour everybody. Honour everybody, wherever they come from, whatever situation they're in and all the rest of it, just to honour people and welcome people is so, so important. More than that, it was also to be a place of intercession. So good to pray for people from other nations, isn't it? It's great. It's really good. I don't know how you get on with that. Obviously, we've got a lot of links to um, Uganda. Uh, a week Monday, Jim and I are going out there to train um, pastors again. So you can, you can pray for us during that. I'm staying on a bit longer for their national something or other. It's uh, so another conference. So pray for me. Pray for them. That's a, that's a great thing for us to have. But how about this? How about you watch TV prayerfully? How do you, I don't know how you get on. How do you get on when you hear about Yemen? I don't know if you've watched the news on Yemen. It's, it's going through an awful time. It's perfect storm of, of religious fighting, civil war, and famine. All, all three at once. How do you pray for it? How do you pray for Syria? How do you pray for the Middle East? How do you pray when you see the fires in California? Do you just, you know think oh I'm fed up with that I turn it over snooker on the other side well no, let's be a house of prayer for all nations here's what I do I, I, I do some pea shooting I, I, I pray for the people affected that's the first thing that I don't know if you watch the t I, I'm wired emotionally so I watch the TV emotionally so it's sort of easier for me but why not just when you see these things we've got a father in heaven who loves people from all nations it's got a big let's develop big hearts Oh, I don't know. Hello, Julie. Well, I yes, that's exactly what I do. I pray. Firstly, I pray for the people affected. That's the first P. You can pray for the people affected. As people don't know how to live their life because they've lost everything in a Californian fire, you can pray for the people affected. 
Uh, some of them will be Christians. A lot of them won't be Christians. You can pray for both. Secondly, you can pray most of these countries have got pastors trying to comfort people. They have the pa- pastors. I know I've actually met some pastors from the north of Africa where they've got their heads down because if they put their heads up, they get them chopped off. I, I met a pastor recently who, when he became converted, his Families, his wife's family came and kidnapped her and said, you're now divorced. And he hasn't seen her for 12 years. She's, she's gone. You can, you can pray for the pastors involved in these countries. They're, they're trying to see people saved. They're trying to comfort people that have lost their homes. Pray for the pastors. God, give them wisdom. Give them some words of comfort. Help them. Pray for the people affected. Pray for The other one is, is sort of, you can have politicians and policemen, people in authority. Pray for them. There's, there's people trying to, trying to, cause peace. There's peacemakers, aren't they? The people trying to make peace in Yemen. There's people trying to sort issues out. I pray that that's what I do, Judy, because we've got a father in heaven who's got a big heart for the nations. And if we only pray for the places we know people, we've probably got two or three places. But if we catch his heart, then we can pray for the whole world. No, because I'm rubbish at that. But if you're a person that does write things down, you carry on. I think, I'm not very good. I, I pray in the moment because the next thing, there's something else on and I can pray about that. I'm, I'm only chucking this out because it helps us, I hope, to be a people that are a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus told us we could also pray that he would send out workers into that harvest field. So we can say, Lord, I don't know who's brave enough to go and work in Yemen. I know some people that had to leave it. But let's pray for places. Let's pray that the door would reopen, that people would be able to go back and build churches. Why not? North Africa was in the first century the center of Christianity. That's where Augustine lived and Tertullian and people that you might not have heard of. That was the, the heart of Christianity. That's where the miracles were happening. That's where the church was growing. Now it's the center of extremist and very strong traditional Muslim faith. That, nothing's fixed. Let's, let's pray for these places. Anyway, I'm going off on one there. And let's be a people of mission. It's a privilege that we, we are actually part of a group of many churches, about a thousand, I think, not huge, but third division church planting movement. It's great that we can pray for places all around the world. Let's do it, shall we? Let's be a people that are a house for the Father, a house of prayer, and praying for all nations it rescues us from parochialism and we can genuinely genuinely make a difference around the world can i pray for us and uh, we'll finish there (coughs) jesus thank you that you are still passionate passionate for the poor passionate for the nations passionate about prayer thank you jesus you haven't you haven't got old and stayed you're still emotional still loving the world thank you that you died so that people from every tribe and tongue and nation could come to know you and thank you that though we feel very very ordinary we're actually extraordinary thank you that we are your children that we can come to you freely that you've made us your house that we can come and speak to you come and know you come and love you we ask you that we would know ourselves to be a house of prayer ask you that you would give us joy in the place of prayer that as we see things good and bad 
we would be talking with you all the time. We pray that you give us space in our hearts for all kinds of people. People like us and people very different to us from different cultures with different problems, different situations. We ask you as we do ordinary things like watching the telly or walking down the high street that you'd help us to engage with you and uh, know your heart and cooperate with you in praying and seeing your kingdom come and your will done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, enjoy the rest of your day.